Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. The words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Powerful passage of Scripture that talks about the interplay or the cooperation that is experienced by every believer between them and God as they strive to progress in their Christian experience. I have a, an admiration for gifted people. I have an admiration for gifted musicians. I watch the people that plan our worship team, I think on the piano, Lucas and Jillian play, and I I have often thought to myself, God, I would love to be able to play like that. I would enjoy playing like that. So I observe their gifts, and, and I end up with a bit of a frustration. Okay, and the frustration is this. I studied music as a child, but you would never know it. Uh, I took guitar lessons for two and a half years. I quit out of just serious and pure and total frustration. I watch people that have those gifts, I admire them, and I'm frustrated by them. Here's why. Even though their capacities and gifts in music are amazing and astonishing and challenging, and they, they encourage me to want to be better at that, they leave me frustrated. You know why? Because their capacities in no way enable my ability or in no way increase my capacity to become a good piano player or a good guitar player. You can watch Michael Jordan play basketball. You can watch Peyton Manning as a, a quarterback in football. If you are inspired by them, you will also experience at some level a frustration. And the frustration will be rooted in the fact that in spite of how good they are and in spite of how much they inspire you to want to be better, by virtue of that, they don't necessarily make you better. Does that make sense? You can observe that. I would love to play like that. I would love to throw a ball like that, hit a golf ball like that, but it won't make you better. Why? Because they don't have the, have the capacity to come inside of you to change you to make you better and more effective. And so the end result of observing such talent for me is I'm inspired and challenged, but I am not better off as a result. The Apostle Paul lays before the church in Philippi the grand example of Jesus Christ. The first half of Philippians chapter 2 is all about the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in His coming to earth, taking on human form willingly allowing himself to be slain on a cross, 
on the third day, rising again, and then is exalted to the right hand of the Father. His example is tremendously inspiring. And in verse 5 of chapter 2, here's what Paul says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. So he's upholding Jesus Christ as an example to inspire change in our hearts. But here's the difference between Jesus Christ and my musician friends and athletic friends. They inspire and challenge me, but they don't help me. Jesus Christ lays down his life so that he can come inside of us and bring lasting transformation and change by the work of his spirit. He cleanses us of our sin. He makes us new people in him. And he calls us to experience something in our life called progress or growth. He challenges us. He inspires us. But he does more than that. He also, praise God, enables us to become the people that he wants us to be. As we begin a new season, a new year in our lives this year, we have the opportunity to examine our growth and to ask ourselves, how am I doing in relationship to my progress, in relationship to growth in Christ? Because it is clear that the Word of God has the expectation expressed from God Himself that He wants us to be people who are maturing and growing and experiencing progress in our Christian experience. The sad thing is this. Many of us in our failures get very frustrated. We lose desire. We lose zeal. We become at some level apathetic. We lose our first love, our first desire to live a life that is growing and that is encouraging to others around us. And so this morning, the challenge that I would love to put before you is this. Would you this morning commit or recommit to a deeper growth in your walk with God that ultimately glorifies His name? Would you decide this morning to look at your life, to examine your life and say, God, I have not grown this year, or I grew, but not as much as I could have. And would you go to God this morning and say, God, I want to join with you in becoming the man, woman, or young person that you have designed me to be in the glory and power of Jesus Christ. My encouragement to you this morning is not that you simply try harder. My encouragement will be that you try harder but that in that trying harder, you will realize that you were joining with God in this process of growth in your Christian life. So my desire is not to throw upon you a burden this morning that you're not doing well and you need to do better. My desire this morning is to encourage you. Look at Jesus. Look at His example. Identify ways in which you're not like Him and say, God, by your strength and power of your Spirit, I am going to begin to put effort into my Christian life. And as I do that, I'm going to begin to cooperate with you in that experience. And as a result, two specific effects will flow out of my life. And we'll talk about them in just a few moments. Commit or recommit to progress and growth in your Christian experience. And so Paul starts out in verse 12 by saying this, Therefore, and that's in light of the example of Jesus listed in verse 6 down through verse 11, in light of what he did and the example that he left, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, that is, there is a a history in the church of Philippi of some level of deep commitment to Christ following. But Paul feels the need to challenge them, go deeper, go further, grow more. Don't let apathy set in. So he says, not only in my absence, but now also, or not only in my presence, but now also much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear 
and trembling. So the first thought that emerges out of this text about progress and growth is this. Progress in the Christian life requires personal effort. So it's not a text that is going to let me off the hook altogether and say, I'm just going to let go and let God. No, this is a text that is going to challenge you with the example of Christ. And then here's what Paul's going to say. He's going to say, I'm encouraging you, church, to get out of bed in the morning and to go and live your life for the glory of God. Give it all your effort. Okay, it requires personal effort. It requires a personal struggle. Now, what I want to make clear in verse 12 is this. Paul is not saying work for your salvation. Okay, he's not saying that your salvation, your relationship to God is secured through your effort. He's talking about something that they already have. If you go back to verse 1 of Philippians 1, it says this, to all the saints in Christ. All right, that's Paul's audience. Those are the people that he's addressing. Verse 12, he says, now I want you to know brothers. Okay, so as Paul's writing, he's writing to people who are confessing Christians who have already experienced the life-transforming power of God in their hearts and lives. They know what it is to be born again, to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. To them, Paul says, put all your effort into your Christian life. He's not saying to an unbeliever, strive to gain salvation, to get it. Okay, because you get salvation by giving up. You get salvation when you surrender and say, God, I can't save myself. I need your hand to reach down and rescue me by the power and blood of Christ from my sin. After God does that, he sets you on a new path. He makes you a new creation, and he wants you to strive to put effort into your Christian experience. Now, the word that's used here to work out your salvation, this requirement of personal effort, is a fascinating word. It carries the idea of diligent personal effort. And it was often applied to things like this, to the idea of agriculture, work the field. The field is there, the seeds are available, you work the field, plant the crop, and then what happens? You as a farmer have to stand back and trust God with the outcome of that effort. But apart from that effort, no crops are going to spring from the field. Okay? The word is also used in terms of mining ore out of a mine. If you were trying to, to get gold, you would have to work the mine until you come up with ore that has gold in it, and you, you would find that ore, and then you would find the outcome to be gold. You work it. Okay? So the requirement at the first level is this. We need to put personal effort into our Christian experience. We are to do it, Paul says, with an attitude that is fascinating. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, now, as a Christian, what does that mean? Does that mean mean we're cowering in a corner, afraid to step out of our house because God might strike us dead? Okay, is that the attitude that he wants us to have? Or is it the same kind of fear that I had from my dad that caused me to live differently. My dad was a disciplinarian, okay? I got spankings. And I'll tell you this, I needed them, okay? Uh, they had an effect on my life, okay? When I was out and about with my friends, there are certain things that my friends wanted to do that I, I kind of shook them off. I waved them off and said, I'm not going there. I got to go home, okay? And my understanding of my dad's, not only of his discipline, but also of his love, caused me to have a sense of 
respect and reverence for him that affected how I live. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, as a Christian, the thing that will kill your efforts, your striving, your diligence to become more and more like Jesus will be allowing sin to intrude into your experience. Sin kills power. And so Paul says, work out your salvation with a holy respect for God and with a proper understanding of how sin will mute the effect of the Spirit of God's work in your life. Live understanding that sin will kill growth in your life. And so he challenges them, work it out, put forth effort, strive to become the man, woman, or young person that God wants you to be. Benefits, I think the promise implied here, benefits follow diligence. Here's the question I would ask you first this morning. Can you identify in your life progress as you look back over the past 12 months? Okay, that's a hard question for us to ask ourselves. Can you identify ways in which you have grown and experienced progress? I think another question we can ask ourselves is this. How are you doing in the disciplines, in the efforts of the Christian life? The habits that God uses to change you. How are you doing in the habit of your prayer life? In time in the Word that we talked about last Sunday morning, in experiencing fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, in taking time to be in solitude, to listen to God as He speaks to you in worship. Christianity was never intended to be a spectator sport. God wants us to people to be people who put forth effort, once we know Jesus, to become more and more like Him for His glory. So diligence produces progress. But it is not diligence, that is human effort alone, that produces progress in our Christian life. And I think this is the encouraging thing. It, it, if growth in our Christian experience was solely up to us, apart from the aid and help of God, I can tell you this right now, I would have quit a long time ago. Okay, I would have quit a long time ago. I am not able in my flesh to live the life that God expects and requires. I am not. But the Spirit of God comes into the life of every Christian to make the impossible possible. That is why we are encouraged by God to be people of great faith, of deep dependence and diligence. Okay, so then you find this bit of a compliment. We are to be people who are diligent in the disciplines of the Christian life. But we are also to be people who are deeply dependent upon God. And as we do that, wonderful things will begin to happen in your Christian experience. So the second thought that I want to give to you from verse 13, let me just read that for you. It says, work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you. That is, he takes up personal residence in your life by the Spirit. And he begins to work to fight for you, to will and to act according to his good purposes. Folks, here's an encouraging thought this morning. If you have trusted Christ, God is committed to your progress and growth. He is for you. You know what the evil wants you to think? He wants you to think that God's love for you is conditional. I'm here to tell you this morning that God's love for you is not conditional. If you are a child of God's, His promise is this, I will never let you go. He will seek you and pursue you, and He will promote and prompt growth in you as you seek Him. 
as you seek him. Progress is a cooperative effort. The example of Jesus challenges you and God by the Spirit helps you to fulfill the command, have the mind of Christ. You know what? I don't want the mind of Christ. I don't want to be a selfless person. I don't want to be a servant to others. You know what I want? I want life to revolve around me. And the Spirit of God comes into our lives to do what? To kill selfishness, which kills growth. And He begins to prompt the virtues of the Spirit within us and the fruit of the Spirit within us. And all of a sudden, we begin to experience progress because we worked at it, but we also understood that we needed to be dependent upon God in this process. So I think it is a glorious and wonderful promise that Paul lays out. Work out your salvation for because for this reason, God is at work in you. He is assisting and aiding and helping you. God is the one who makes progress possible for believers. And you know what he does? He gives you the desire, this text says, and he gives you the ability to live for his pleasure. And some translations say, for his purposes. So we join with him. And as we join with Him, we begin to experience something that we could not do on our own. What is this purpose and pleasure of God that He is aiming towards through your individual life? Well, here's what the text says. It is for His goodwill and for His pleasure, for His joy. You know what God's joy and purpose is for you? That you would be shaped into the image of Christ. So in verse 5, when Paul says, had this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, he is expressing the will of God for you. Be like Jesus. And the way we become like Jesus is through diligent personal effort, disciplines. As we join with the power of God, and we begin to experience change in our lives. The ultimate change is this. We are being changed into the image and glory of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says, if you just flip back, if you want to look at this, flip back a couple pages to Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10, after being saved, he says this. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance, okay, that is prior to your salvation, for you to do. We are His project. Okay, He is joining with us as we join with Him, and He is causing us to be shaped into conformity to look more and more like Jesus Christ. So Galatians 4.19, Paul says, I strive, working for the church in Galatia, until Christ is formed in you. And the idea is this, your life is increasingly becoming more like Jesus as you put forth effort and as you join with God in this effort. The image of Christ is being shaped in you and that is the purpose of God. Now here's what will happen. As you begin to see God work in your life and bring about change, change in your marriage, change in your attitude at work, change in your relationships at school, young people, as you begin to see God do that, here's what will happen. I promise you this. If it is the result of your disciplines and your dependence upon God, it will give you such deep confidence that God is able to keep His promises in your life. Philippians 1 and verse 6. Just look back at just the previous chapter here. Notice what it says. Paul says, Be confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day that Christ comes. Is that not a glorious promise? Put forth your effort. God joins with you as you put forth your effort. And He is committed to your success. 
He is committed to His purpose and pleasure in your life. That is that you would become a representative of Jesus Christ in your sphere of influence. Growth and change and progress is possible because God Himself, by the work of the Spirit, is for you. Here's the way Jesus put it to His disciples. John 15, verse 5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. That's the reciprocal nature. You abide in me, I will abide in you. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. Look, we just said that word. Do you believe that? Do you believe that apart from, and he's talking to his followers, his disciples, do you believe that apart from the power of God, you can do nothing in terms of becoming like Jesus? Because if you do, it will alter how you use your moments through the day. It will demand that you spend time seeking Him and saying, God, I am dependent upon you for progress in my Christian experience. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. What do we do with Him? We put forth our effort, but not independently. We put forth our effort, and as we put forth our effort, God comes alongside and ensures success, growth, and encouragement in our Christian experience. This is a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. As I studied through this, I was thinking about some of the miracles in the Gospels. And and, and I'll just share one as an illustration of this idea of you put forth effort, and as you do, God will join with you and complete the work. I thought about the miracle of the man who had the palsied hand from birth. A hand shriveled up against his body that he had never been able to extend. Jesus walks up to him. Well, what does Jesus say to the man with the withered hand? What does he say to him? Stretch out your hand. Now, if you're that man, what are you thinking? Do you understand? He says, stretch out your hand. He knows what he's able to do. He knows what he intends to do for this man. This man has no clue. He says to another man, rise up. Take up your bed and walk. That is insanity. That doesn't make sense. Okay, and you, I am sure, many of you, have looked at your Christian experience and you feel feel like the man with the withered hand. You feel like the person laying on the mat who's been crippled your whole life. He says, reach out your hand. Your response, I can't. You know what he's saying? Trust me. Do what I ask you to do and watch what will happen. To the man on the cot who has been on the cot his whole life unable to walk, Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. It sounds crazy. It sounds like the unthinkable. It would require the miraculous. And that is exactly the way it works with God. He says, you put forth effort and as you do, I will bring growth in your life that you do not expect. You know what? Sometimes I think teenagers get caught up in this frustration of rebellion. And they think my life can't be different. I can't experience victory over this issue of struggling and striving and fighting with my parents. You know what God says to you? Would you trust me and submit yourself to your parents as a means of honoring God? And when you do, I will join with you and bring you to the purposes that I have for you as a young person. We live in unbelief. We think that things can't change. You know what Paul's saying? Work out your salvation. Stretch forth your hand. Take up your bed and walk. Go and express love towards your mate that you think you can't get along with. 
Go and love mom and dad that you think you can't love or that are imperfect and don't deserve your love. Go and love them anyhow and watch what God will do. Go to that coworker at work that leaves you in serious frustration and depression because of how incredibly negative they are. And trust God. Join with God by loving that person and watch what he can do. You see, I'm convinced that we often lack faith in God's promises, not about other people, but to us. Paul says God is at work in you. And there is an implied promise in that. In that working in you. And the idea is, he is energizing you and giving you the capacity to do, to work. Even the desire to will and want to do his good pleasure. He's a heart changer. But you must engage in the disciplines, put forth your effort, and when you do, God will join with you. And you will begin to see things happen in your life that you never expected. We live in doubt and therefore we stay captive in sin. Because we think, why should I put forth effort? It's not going to make a difference. Can I be honest with you? Your effort will not make a difference. But when your efforts are joined with God's capacities, you will see things change. And He will work out His good pleasure and will in your life. The Holy Spirit comes. John 14 tells us to bring transformation and change. He is the agent by which God shapes Christ into the life of believers. Satan wants you to sink into a pit of despair. He wants to steal your joy, steal your strength, steal your power, and steal your faith and trust in God. Without which it is impossible to please him. Satan can sideline you if he can get you to doubt the power of God and the desire of God to see things become different in your life. I guarantee you, if you have lived doubting the power of God last year, you did not experience progress in your Christian life. Doubt kills the power of God. Faith and striving, okay, invite the power of God into your life. Remember, one writer said, that authentic Christianity and growth is an inside job. It's an inside job. It's the result of God's work. So if and when God uses your striving for His glory as it is coupled with Him and as you cooperate with Him, and God does something good through your life or uses your life to be a serious encouragement to a brother or sister or to a friend at work or at school, whatever it may be, when God does that, may it humble you. Okay, May you confess, I didn't do that. That was God at work in my life as I began to submit myself and yield to him in the disciplines of Christian living. Now, what will the result of such effort and cooperating with God, what will the result of that be? If you were this morning to say, you know what, I don't like the lack of progress that was in my life last year. I would like this year that is now before me to be different. I would like to see the hand of God at work in my life. I would love to see God using me in ways that I have not seen Him use me before. And you begin to yield to Him. What are some outcomes of the growth that you would experience? And I just suggest to you two effects of our progress in Christ. Verses 14 to 16. Notice how, what Paul says. Paul says, do, in this context, do everything without complaining and arguing, 
so that you may become blameless. Now notice, so that you may become. Okay, which I think ties back directly into verse 13. God is at work in you to will and to act. Okay, he is interested in your progress and growth. Verse 14, do everything without murmuring and complaining, so that you may become. So the idea here is God wants to take you somewhere where you already are not. He wants you to experience progress. He wants you to become something that you currently are not. Paul goes to a specific issue that is very prevalent in the world that we live in. Complaining, whining, arguing, murmuring. Paul says, do everything in your life without that, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. The first effect of you putting diligence into your Christian life and cooperating with God and experiencing growth will be this. Your progress will positively impact your world or your sphere of influence. People around you will notice a difference. Okay? And one of the first ways they'll do that is when you cooperate with God in killing negative attitudes in your life. Now, I understand why it is easy for us to cultivate pessimism and a negative spirit. Okay? One, one webpage that I look at on a daily basis. I, just, I, I looked at it yesterday and I was like, this is great news. Okay? And I'm kidding when I say that. Okay? This just, there are some things on the webpage that are so horrifying I won't even read them in public. But these are six or seven things that were listed. Your European security threat level raised to severe. Congresswoman Gifford shot in Tucson, Arizona, six dead, 18 wounded. That was yesterday. New York Health Department, 41% of pregnancies in New York City will end in abortion. Elderly Swedes bloodied in snow shovel brawl. Six girls arrested after Facebook posting, attack a teacher day. And incendiary packages explode in the governor's office in Maryland. Okay? It is easy to realize that we live in a messed up world. There is a a negativity in our world. There is a pessimism. There is a problem. The Apostle Paul says to these people in Philippi, if you join with God, your effort and His power... Your life will change. And you will begin to impact your world in a positive day. If you do two things. Maintain a good attitude and have a positive impact. Realize that negative talk is normative, that it consumes much of our world where people have little hope. Contentment stands out in a selfish world. A person of contentment They stand out. People will see the peace of God that defies explanation in your life. And they will become curious. What makes you different? You're not a complainer. You're not someone that murmurs by the water cooler all the time. What does Paul say? Paul says, you become blameless and pure children of God. It's not that we've arrived, folks, but it is that we are to be people who are on the way for the glory of God. That is what he wants us to be. And here's what Paul says. As you do this, Pick up in verse, middle of verse 15. He says, as you do this, in this crooked and twisted world that is described often in the news outlets, you will be found to be children of God who don't complain and who are blameless. That is, to be without glaring flaws, without unconfessed sin. It's not that we live a perfect life. No, we struggle. 
But when we struggle, what we should do is this. We should honestly confess our sins and seek the help of God so that the watching world around us will see people who are distinct. And as we do that, here's what Paul says. In this crooked and depraved world, the idea is in a dark world, you shine like stars in the universe. Set against the backdrop of corruption, of struggle, of difficulty, of fighting, of negativity. Set against that backdrop an optimistic Christian who doesn't argue and complain stands out like a light that this world desperately needs to see. Isn't that why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And the idea isn't like the song that we sing, this little light of mine. Okay, Paul's painting a picture here that demands a flaming, blazing torch. That's what's demanded. You shine against a black sky like brilliant beacons. Not a little light but a massive brilliance for the glory of God. That's what God wants us to be. And as we kill complaining and as we kill sin in our lives, a purity will emerge from us and the light of Christ in us will begin to come to flame and it will grow. And people around you will be encouraged to come towards Christ because they will see that your life is fundamentally affected deeply by the work of Christ. You shine because your life proves that you are fundamentally different. We are the means that God has chosen to impact our world. Your life, Christian friend, I think it is so important that we understand this, your life as a Christian is not an issue of private concern. Okay? Christians, you're not going to study through Scripture and come up with this idea of a private Christian life. The change that God brings in our life, He intends it to be put on display. He intends for people to see the difference that Jesus is making in our lives. He wants the light of Christ to shine brilliantly through each of our lives in this room. He wants us to go out into a hopeless world and be a beacon of hope that things can be different. The sad truth is this. Often, Divisions within the lives of Christians, frustrations, failures, complaining, sin that is unconfessed is a thick cloud that obscures the light of Christ. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to kill the sin. He wants us to kill the sins of the mouth and murmuring and complaining. And when we do, we maximize our influence for his glory and for the benefit of the world around us. Our world needs and longs to see a difference. Would you, Christian friend, would you join with God with diligence and make a difference? And when you do, your progress will impact the world around you. The other thought that emerges in 16 to 18 is your progress will encourage other Christians. Notice the second part of verse 16 and following. Paul says, you're holding out the word of life. Okay, that is the gospel of Christ. In order that, he says, do this, in order that, I may boast on the day of Christ. And this is a fascinating statement. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labor for nothing. Okay, think about that. Paul saying, I came to you, I ministered the gospel of grace to you in Philippi. Paul spent time in jail in Philippi, beaten. Led the Philippian jailer to Christ. 
spent a couple more weeks there, and then he was on his way. And he left a tremendous impact upon the believers in Philippi. They have been growing. In fact, if you read through this whole letter of Philippians, you will find that there is only one corrective statement in Philippians, and that's chapter 4 and verse 2. Yodia and Syntyche, Paul says, tell them to get along. That's the only correction in the whole letter. Okay, now here, here, the rest of it is just simply challenges to live the Christian life. Paul says, on the day that Christ comes, I will be able to boast that my effort in your city, because of what God is doing, was not in vain. Their growth in Christ would become an encouragement not only to Paul, but to many other believers. You can read the beginning of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and you, or 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and following, where Paul says that the, the, the change that God had brought into the church in, in Thessalonica was resounding like an echo, like a megaphone throughout the ancient world. Because they heard how they had turned from idols to the living God, how their lives were changed and beginning to grow. The result of that is this. If you commit yourself to put forth diligence in your Christian life while joining with God, your life will become a serious encouragement to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the flip side of that is also true. If I become weak and anemic in my Christian experience, it will affect my brothers and sisters in Christ. If I disengage from Christian community, it will negatively impact and affect my brothers and sisters in Christ. Folks, please understand this. The the Christian life, Christian living, is not a private matter. God wants your life to impact the world around you. God wants your life to positively impact the brothers and sisters in Christ around you. I find it an amazing thing that the Apostle Paul who planted this church could say that he finds deep, profound encouragement from the progress of the people that he had discipled and ministered to. I think it's, it's neat that he could say, when I stand before Christ, I will be able to say, Jesus, I live my life for a cause that was worthy. And one of the reminders of that will be this. He will look at the church in Philippi and say, your progress in Christ has so deeply encouraged my heart that I look forward to standing before him. Because when I stand there, I will not be ashamed. Why? Because the effort that I put forth towards your becoming more and, like Je- more, and more like Jesus was not wasted effort. Why? Because they were so strong and capable? No. But because they were diligent in joining with God and seeing their lives have an effect on their world and on the life of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And see what Paul is in some way encouraging here is this. He's encouraging peer pressure, but a very, very powerful and good kind. See, the believers in Philippi became difference makers. They were affecting the people around them. Are you? Am I? So I challenge you. Would you look back over the last year of your life? Would you look forward? Would you look forward as a young person, as an adult, as a mate? Would you look forward and say, God, I want my life to make a difference. Therefore, I'm going to join with you. I'm going to put forth my effort and cooperate with you so that I can grow. So that my life can impact those around me and those within the context of the Christian community. Folks, here's the bottom line. God wants to use you. God uses people who are growing in their walk with Jesus Christ. My challenge to you this morning is as you go into this new year, just stepping into it, would you just think through your life last year and say, God, these are the areas where I need to grow. 
Help me. Help me to do this for your glory. As you look at Christ, you will find this. He upholds an example that is exceedingly challenging. His example is exceedingly challenging. But I think you will find this. His example will not frustrate you. His example will empower you. As you rest in him. And as you meditate on him. And as you savor him. And worship him. His example will fill you with the power of the spirit. So that you can become the person. That God wants you to be. In this new year father I pray. 